Good morning. My name is Don. I'm one of the elders here at Resurrection Church. Excited to be here. So Mark was talking about seven baptisms today, but as the Spirit leads, as Lee and the, the gang were singing about, as the Spirit leads, it could be more than that. And we don't want to stifle the Spirit moving in the lives of its people. And you just, you just stay in tune for that, all right? So we're currently in week nine of a 12-week study on the Apostles' Creed. This has just been an amazing study. And uh, a lot of people are taking turns up here sharing uh, what God's revealing to them about that. So what is the Apostles' Creed? A statement of faith that's been long regarded as the oldest, simplest, and yet most profound way of summarizing the Christian faith. And why does it matter? First of all, it matters because it's a summary of the Bible. It's not like you have to sit down with somebody and explain the Bible to them, right? It's a summary of it. This is what we believe. And secondly, the Apostles' Creed matters because Christian doctrine matters. What we believe about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, and about salvation will affect different aspects of our lives. And studying the Apostles' Creed forces us to go into depth in those areas, to look into each particular doctrine, know where it came from, what it is, and what it entails. So I think we have a video, it's just if, if you haven't seen it before, uh, we're gonna show this video, it kind of explains what the Apostle Creed is. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven. And sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So today's message is we believe in the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? There are many misconceptions about the identity of the Holy Spirit. Some view the Holy Spirit as a mystical force. Others see the Holy Spirit as an impersonal power that God makes available to followers of Christ. But what does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? Simply put, the Bible declares the Holy Spirit is God. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is a divine person, a being with a mind, emotions, and a will. The fact that the Holy Spirit is God is clearly seen in many scriptures. In Acts 5, we see Peter confronting Ananias as to why he lied to the Holy Spirit and tells him that he had not lied to men, but he'd lied to God. It's a clear de declaration that lying to the Holy Spirit is lying to God. We also know that the Holy Spirit is God because he possesses the all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful characteristics of God. For example, his omnipresence is seen in Psalms. Where can I go from your spirit? 
Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. His omnipotence is seen in Micah 8, but as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might. Then in 1 Corinthians, we see the characteristics of omniscience, all-knowing, in the Holy Spirit. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. We can know that the Holy Spirit is indeed a divine person because he possesses a mind, emotions, and will. In 1 Corinthians, we see the Holy Spirit searching everything, knowing our thoughts, comprehending, and thoughts of God, making decisions according to his will. In Ephesians, we see the Holy Spirit can be grieved. In Romans, we see the Holy Spirit interceding for us. In Hebrews, we see the Holy Spirit being eternal. The Holy Spirit's on the first page of the Bible, the very first page of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The second verse of the Bible. And the Holy Spirit's also on the last page of the Bible, in Revelations. I said plural, huh? Revelation, it's, a, it's, it's plural. It's not plural, it's a single thing. Okay. The spirit of the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The Holy Spirit is God, the third person of the Trinity. As God, the Holy Spirit can truly function as the comforter and counselor that Jesus promises in John 14. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. And John 15 says, but when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. There's a great little book out there, uh, R.C. Sproul wrote, and it's an easy read. It's six chapters. Uh, who is the Holy Spirit? It talks about the third person, the life giver, the advocate, the sanctifier, the anointer, the illuminator. Just read it again this week. It's just an awesome book. So what does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit has many different roles, but the first thing to understand is the Holy Spirit is given to people who believe in Jesus to bind them together with God and help them become more like him. For Christians, the experience of eternal life does not begin at death, but when they trust in Jesus and God places his spirit within them. Again, for Christians, the experience of eternal life does not begin at death, but when they trust in Jesus and God places his spirit in them. 
Now it is God who makes both of us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So throughout the Bible, the Holy Spirit equips people for ministry, gives people specific insight and wisdom, teaches people how to interpret God's word, communicates with the Father on people's behalf, and empowers Christians to live according to God's sign, his design. So here's some verses. He lives within followers of Jesus and produces lasting change in our character. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The Holy Spirit gives believers the power to share their faith. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit produces God's love in human hearts. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has so been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Holy Spirit is a promise of great things to come for those who trust God. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. So you were chosen by the Father, you were redeemed by the Son, and you were sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is unique and creative. The more you learn about him, the easier it is to recognize his presence in your life. I just love that song that we were singing, uh, Spirit Lead Me, because it just talks about all the different ways that we need to just to give up what we want to do and let the Spirit lead us. It's always going to work out a lot better that way, I've, I've found out. <laughs> I love this quote from Billy Graham. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict. God's job is to judge and my job is to love. Simply said. Simply said. So I got to tell you this story. A little over a couple of weeks ago on a Friday night, I'm sitting in my living room with my wife and I am just exhausted. I am shot, man. It's been a long three weeks and uh, I uh, had, went up to Montana to visit family and friends and... Uh, had some issues uh, with the rental car on the way home. Drove 21 hours straight to get, just in time to get to work for a turnaround. And uh, we do these turnarounds at work and uh, it's hard to describe what goes on there, but it's, it's around the clock. But it's like a 16 hour day and it's crazy. But uh, so I did that for a week. And then I was just catching my breath and then we had another emergency turnaround right after that. And then I ended up going inside this tower, this like, 60 foot tall tower that's only about three foot in diameter and I, I had to tunnel from the top down to the bottom taking all the trays out and then they clean them up and then the next day put them back in there right and it really wasn't as bad as you think though because we had an AC unit it was 70 degrees inside that tower it was like 115 outside so it wasn't a bad deal really but it was it was exhausting it was tight it was it was just a tough deal and I'm just I'm just I'm tired, right? And I, I, 
I come to the realization that I'm supposed to preach a message in a couple weeks. And I, I turned to my wife, I said, I got nothing, man. I have no, I've read a couple of uh, uh, commentaries, but I've got nothing. I've got no outline. I haven't talked to my buddy John Morgan and gotten some insight or Vance or Daniel. I have nothing. And I really don't want to do anything either. I'm just shot. I'm tired. So what am I going to do here? Yeah. And then I start making excuses, right? Like, I'm just not feeling the message come together and I'm exhausted. And how could I possibly do my best in such a short time frame? And, uh, oh, we have a grandson coming. That's another thing, right? Oh, and our daughter's coming back from the mission field. She's been gone for 53 days. You know, uh, you know I, I got to be there, you know. I start making all these excuses, right? And, uh, and I've got all these projects around the property, and I've got this remodel that's been months into it, and it needs to be finished. And I'm just like, I've, I've got a bunch of good reasons not to be up here today. I do? I really do? Are you with me yet? Are you feeling me? Okay. Yeah. And so Lori's understanding is always listening and hearing me out. And she suggests that uh, if I'm not going to bring this message, I need to let some people know so they can prepare. And it's, it's one of the things I kind of love about her, right? That she's <laughs> very practical. She's going she's to do that. But, and I share with her that I'll pray about it. And I'll sleep on it and I'll give her an answer in the morning. Okay? So when our kids were younger, and you'd, you'd be... Uh, ask a tough question, that was my out, right? I'll pray about that. I'll pray about that. And, uh, which can be sincere or it can be just a diversionary tactic, right? But, so this is what happened. Later that night, I actually prayed about it. Actually prayed about it. And so I like to use this Acts prayer model because, well, I have the attention span of a gnat. We'll put it right there, okay? Yeah, they tell me there's medication for that, but uh, I haven't really done that yet, but probably should. So it, this Acts model of prayer helps me stay on track, okay? And it's a simple way to help focus our prayer time to be more intentional and impactful. It allows our prayer time to be less overwhelming and easier to focus in these four areas. So has anybody ever started to pray and then next thing you know you're thinking about something else? That's the way I am. I'm just terrible about it. And, and you know, I, I've heard some of the great theologians in the past talk about I've got so much to do that I, I think I'll spend the first three hours in prayer. That just blows me away. How could you possibly pray for three hours, right? But people do that. So I use this, this model. So the acts, adoration, means loving God with all our heart and mind, simply praising God for who he is. This is a really good place to start. You get that, you get that right there in the front. Praise God for everything he is. Second is confession. Admitting and confessing your sin to God so that your prayers aren't hindered. This is important. If you're carrying a bunch of baggage around, you, you come to the Lord in prayer, he's like... Not so sure about that. I don't know how sincere you really are. Thanksgiving is thanking God for all the many ways, the blessings that he's already given us and for those that have not yet come. Even when times are tough, even when times are tough, it is important to always remember the blessings in your life. And supplication, it's just kind of a fancy word, but it's where we present the Father with our specific prayer request for ourselves and others, recognizing that God's will is ultimately the best. 
Spurgeon said, I'd rather teach one person to pray than 10 people to preach. There's power in prayer. So the next morning I got up, I felt different about the whole thing. After praying, I felt different. And I listened to this message on the passage that we're talking about here, and, uh, and it was talking about the Holy Spirit. And the question was asked, at what point do we think that our best is good enough? At what point do we think our best is good enough? It was then it became abundantly clear to me that, yeah, yeah, you got to bring this message done. <laughs> okay. And, and it's not my power, but the power of the Holy Spirit that would provide. That it's not about me or how I feel about it or how equipped I feel or how, how well I think I'm going to do. Because we all kind of inside, we want people to go, hey, good job, you know. But the reality of it is, that's not what this is about. It's about God's glory. It's about the Holy Spirit working in somebody's life to give them what to say, how to say it, when to say it, and we'll never be good enough. That's the big takeaway. So the solution to our not being good enough in all these different areas is solved in the adopting work of the Holy Spirit via the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that's pretty much it for today. I'll be leaving. No. <laughs> Thank you for your time. You've been so much more than kind. No. There's more. So here's, a, here's one from Blackaby. A lot of you guys in your community groups have gone through uh, experiencing God. Henry Blackaby, he says, uh, do we have that slide? Will God ever ask you to do something you are not able to do? The answer is yes, all the time. It must be that way for God's glory and kingdom. If we function according to our ability alone, we get the glory. If we function according to the power of the spirit within us, God gets the glory. He wants to reveal himself to a watching world. Okay, so what is the power of the Holy Spirit? The spirit gave us, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The Holy Spirit empowers one to share the gospel with a tow truck driver as you ride 215 miles in the dark after you've transitioned from the interstate to the ditch between the interstates at 85 miles an hour. And you're on your way to St. George to get another rental car so you can get to work on time. And you've listened to his life story. And you can't not share the good news with him. The Holy Spirit convicts you that I've got to talk to this guy about Jesus. I've been in this truck this whole time. I know everything about him. I've asked all the questions. And I'm not sure that he knows Jesus. And so I don't know what I'm going to say. It's going to be kind of awkward. Well, you know what? The Holy Spirit will give you the words to share when it's time to share. And it's in his timing. The Holy Spirit gives us strength, comfort, peace, wisdom, and discernment to carry on when we think our tank is empty. The Holy Spirit matures us through our trials and our pain. The Holy Spirit puts a song in, in my head every morning. I, I was telling Rachel about that every morning. I've got a song in my head. And uh, it's just amazing. I don't know where it comes from. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, our teacher. That's why in prayer we can ask the Lord to open up scripture and make it come alive to us, to open our understanding. He left his spirit with us until we join him in heaven. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives us boldness to evangelize. Think about 
what he did with Peter in Acts chapter 2. Peter goes from denying Jesus three times to a man who won 3,000 people to the way of salvation. So what happened there? The Holy Spirit happened there. When you take the Holy Spirit out of the equation of your life, it spells boring. When you add the Holy Spirit in the equation of your life, you never know where you're going to go, what you're going to do, or who you're going to meet. And I know that terrifies some people. But that's how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. We can have a plan. We all have calendars that we, we look at every day. But, but uh, if we let the Holy Spirit go, you never know where you're going to go. The Holy Spirit is the one who opens the heart of the sinner. He causes them to go from being stubborn, stone-hearted individuals to people who bow before Jesus as Lord. He takes ordinary lives and makes them lives that transform the world. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives to us all the promises of the Father, who causes us to walk in the perfect will of God, not just day to day, but moment by moment. So if you've got your Bibles, if you want to open them up, uh, there's this red book in the pew in front of you. It's a Bible. Okay, on page 934 is where we're going to be at. If you don't have a Bible, you can do it there. I'm joking. We all have Bibles on our phone, right, or something. But go to your Bibles, John 14. It's interesting. We're, here we get the perspective of a member of the Trinity talking about another member of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is personal, intimate, and alive. First of all, personal. So in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells in you, and with you, and will be in you. In verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Now this is kind of confusing, isn't it, a little bit? Like he's saying, okay, uh, it's getting near the cross, and Jesus is saying, I'll not leave you as orphans, but I'm gonna leave, but then I'm, I'm gonna come back, and then oh, and the Father is It gets a little confusing here, but let's look into this. What is he talking about here? It's interesting he uses the word orphans. Even if we're raised in a loving home with two parents, we all have some angst about who we really are. We have a longing, a desire to belong, to be accepted, approved in whatever we do. I remember after high school, I, uh, I decided to enroll in this vocational technical institute. It's like a vo-tech, a training school right, for welding. And, uh, and my parents were asking me why. <laughs> you know, they, they were fully expecting me to go off to college, and, and uh, that's, I suppose that's what they wanted. That would have been their preference that I go off to college. And uh, my answer to them was that I felt a need to be really good at something. And that's what I was going to do, and that's what I did. And I think deep down we all struggle with who we really are. The Holy Spirit's role could be best understood as ransoming us from the type of spiritual orphans that we are, 
bringing us into a home where there is a deep and abiding optimism that transcends our circumstances. We have been brought into the family of God. Think about this. Being a son or daughter of God, being adopted into the family of God becomes an identity marker that nothing or no one can take from you. Everything else can be taken from you but that. Everything. You know, let me, let me think about this in my own life. My, I, I'm the husband of one wife, of Lori. For 34 years, seven months, 27 days, and 21 hours. Right? Hey, but that could all change. That could all change. It was crazy when I was in Montana. Lori was down here with her moms, uh, helping out there. I, I went up by myself, and I'd run into old friends, and they'd go, hey, Don, are you and Lori still together? <laughs> uh, yeah, we're still together. Well, where's she at? Well, she's in California, yeah. But, uh, yeah, we're still together. But it could all change, right? In this broken world, it could all change. I'm, I'm the father of four amazing adult children. That can all change in this broken world. Grandchildren. It could change. Okay. I have this role at work where I have a title and I do a job, but you know, that's, that could all change. Elder at Resurrection Church, that sounds pretty good, right? One vote, I'm gone. <laughs> I love you, Mark. <laughs> no. I just, it's, it's just crazy. You know, every identity marker can be taken away from me because I'm not all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. I'm not God. But as a son or daughter, being called into the family of God means that we, we have this one thing that you can't touch no matter what happens. It can't change. We're loved, provided for, saved, ransomed. No matter what happens, it can't change. There's some great comfort in that. Kayla was talking about rest. You can rest in that. Yeah. The Holy Spirit is intimate. Verse 20, and that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, I like how they throw that in there, right? Hey, don't be talking about that other guy. This is, this is somebody else, okay. Uh, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Obedience is driven by love. We're not obedient in order to be loved, but we're loved, so therefore we're obedient. If you love me, you'll be obedient. The more we love someone or something, the more disciplined we are, the more likely we die to ourselves and our personal preferences. I'll let you fill in the blank there. I could give you example after example after example. If you truly love something or someone, it becomes important to what, what you want to do all of a sudden isn't that important. How many of you, for your child, you, you, you would jump in front of a car, right? I said I wasn't going to give examples. Okay, I won't give any more. You've put an example in your head what that means to you in your life, what's really important. Verse 23, the text says, we will make our home with them. This is really interesting because of how the home actually works. 
In, in, in years past, we've gone on uh, home visits through an evangelism program we had here at church. And, we, and my wife and I always go back and forth about this because uh, she says, you got to call before you go because they're not expecting you. And their house might not be in order. And I said, if you call, they'll come up with an excuse not to be, you know. It's like, and so we go back and forth. And we've done it both ways. But, okay, all, all you wives out there, mothers, like, how do you feel when somebody just drops in on your home, right? Oh, yeah, the door's wide open, right? So I was talking with some people earlier about the culture I grew up in Montana. It's like the door was not locked. People just came into your house, right? If they needed to use the phone, if they needed something to eat, they needed a place to sleep, it just was there. That was a different time, but that's what I grew up in. Okay, so, but for now, it's probably best to call. It probably really is best to call. And uh, so, those were some good visits, so. Okay, so I gotta tell you this story. I don't know about you guys, but with your kids in the room, is their kid, is your kid's room always spotless and perfect and everything's in its place? <laughs> Mine wasn't. Our kids' room weren't that way. Uh, so one day, my son, who's now 27, he, he wanted to ride up to his girlfriend's house in the Northeast. So I said, yeah, sure, Logan, no problem. And uh, so we're driving up there, and, uh, and I asked him, I said, hey, did you get your room cleaned? He goes, almost, Dad. I said, really? And we're driving, and we're going further, and we're getting closer there, and then it's starting to rain. And then it's starting to rain really hard, right? And then I pull off into the Green Frog parking lot, which is about two and a half blocks from his girlfriend's house, right? And I park. I put the car in park. And uh, he goes, what? what's up, Dad? I go, well, you almost cleaned your room, so I'm almost going to give you a ride to Katie's house. And he goes, you're kidding me. I go, I'm not kidding. So he gets, we joke around about it today. So they got married. They've got three kids. They're, they're an amazing family, but we joke about it today because Katie still remembers when Logan showed up at the door sopping wet, right? Like, what's wrong? What's going on here? But almost... Almost got it. Okay. So what's being illustrated here really is not that our homes are clean or not, but that our love and desire for our homes to be clean has invited in the power of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God so that they walk our homes with us, showing us what we could clean. And they're going to help us clean our homes and for us to open our hearts and showing them the areas of our home that we previously might not have wanted to show them. To the point where we come over here, hey, what's behind that door over there? Well, I don't really want to talk about that yet, but, but to get to the point where the Holy Spirit is working in your life and the presence of God that says, let's open that door. Let's see what's behind that door. Let's clean that up. Just imagine what's behind that door. The Holy Spirit is alive. Verse 25, these things I have spoken to you that I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring you your remembrance, all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. 
by peace I give to you, not as the world gives to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I love that part. I've told you so that when it happens, you'll go, oh, yeah, he said that would happen. That's right. He did say that would happen. So what we have in the back part of John 14 about the Holy Spirit is how the Holy Spirit informs and stirs up adoration that drives our obedience. How the Holy Spirit is continually teaching us more about Jesus through the word and through the beauty of his creation. How the Holy Spirit reminds us of the faithfulness of God regardless of any time in human history. The people of God are prone to wonder and forget the faithfulness of God yesterday and simply complain about what they don't have today. Like things were going great yesterday and then today there's something quite not right, right? And we tend to focus on that. It's just, it's evil. And how the Holy Spirit leaves us with peace that is different than the world gives. So what's the difference between the peace that Christ brings and the peace the world brings. The peace the world tries to bring isn't really built in reality. The world can't keep its promises to us to actually walk in, in peace. You know, it's like uh, some people are recently at SoFi Stadium, and if you've ever been in that stadium, it's just an amazing structure. The pipe, the welding, the engineering, the canopy, the screen, everything. But, you know, the world says that this is earthquake proof, this is perfect, but you never really know, right? There's a ship that crossed the Atlantic in 1912. You knew about that one, right? Oh, yeah, this ship's unsinkable. All right, this little metallurgy issues when they ran into an iceberg. And there wasn't enough uh, lifeboats, but, but hey, the ship's not going to sink, right? That's the world. It's not reality. Okay? So the peace of the world says that we're in control, that we are God. Somehow, if we try really hard, work really hard, go to the right schools, pursue the right career, marry the right person, live in that certain house on that certain neighborhood, raise our kids in the perfect setting, then everything is going to be okay. Then our best is going to be good enough. But guess what? Our best is never going to be good enough. We're not in control of all this. And all the pressure of success falls on us and makes us a neurotic, anxious, fearful people. And Jesus says, that's not how I'm going to work. That's not how I'm going to do it. Jesus says, I'm going to step into that space where you know your best isn't good enough. And I'm going to let you melt into knowing that you're not, but I am. The peace that Jesus brings us is the kind of peace that allows us to embrace that our best isn't good enough. No longer causing anxiety, but rest. So let me test this right now. How many of you have blown it this last week with your kids, with your spouse, with your girlfriend, with your boyfriend, with your coworker? How many have done that? Like, any, anybody want to go both hands up? Just, okay. We've all done that. The point I'm trying to make here is that universally, we're not very good. 
So here's what we can do. We can keep trying to do our best in that impossible pursuit of our best being good enough, or we can melt knowing that we are not and that God is able and rest in his ability over our own inability. So much of our angst and anxiety is rooted in the belief that our best will be good enough. So just let yourself rest in Jesus. Okay, I got a couple more verses. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. This is good. This is kind of a heads up. Hey, you're going to have a little bit of tribulation. If they they were writing this and they were trying to win people over, you'd think they'd be like spouting about the prosperity gospel or something, right? But no, they're saying, hey, look, you're going to have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Okay, we have some takeaways, but before we do that, uh, if if you're getting ready to, if you're going to be baptized this service, uh, you might want to start heading that way so you can kind of get ready. There'll be some people to meet you back there. But some takeaways here. We will not be left as orphans. We have been adopted into the family of God and nothing or no one can take that away. Peace he gives us, real peace, not like the peace the world tries to give us. But my question to you, this is my question. Where are you being led by the Holy Spirit right now? Where are you being led? The Holy Spirit is calling you out on something right now. I know it. He's calling you out on something right now. And you're thinking like, I should have done this. I should have reconciled with my brother. I should, I should give my heart and life to Christ. I should surrender. I should get baptized. I should just come and grab someone by the hand and pray with them because I'm going through a really difficult season. I've had this loss or I've done this. But right now, the Holy Spirit is convicting you to do something. So what are you going to do with that? We're going to give you a chance. And like I said, if you, if you feel like you want to get baptized, and it's not too late. We have people in the back. We have towels and clothes and everything. You can do it today. If you've been putting it off and you think, man, I, I really should get baptized. And baptism is just, you know, making a public profession of an inward decision. Maybe you've already accepted Christ, but you've never been baptized. Now is a good time to do that. Okay. We're going to have our prayer team up front here, some elders and pastors and staff, and uh, we just ask that you uh, let the Spirit lead you in whatever He's dealing with right now. Okay. Let me pray, and we'll go from there. Dear Holy Father, we just praise you in all things. You are so amazing. We love you. We, ad- we just adore you all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe, Uh, confessing our sins, coming to you, giving you thanks for your many blessings, and just asking for you, the Holy Spirit, to move in the lives of your people today, right now, as they feel led, to come and take someone by the hand and just to pray with them, to share with them, to uh, release the burdens that they have in their lives, dear Lord. Thank you for those that have decided to be baptized today and, uh, and that you have the glory in all things is our, our big 
concern. We just love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.